Spencer Chamberlain is one incredibly talented and super busy guy, being both the front man for Under Oath and his new project, Sleepwave. Spencer, thanks a lot for coming on The Antidote. Thanks for having me, dude. When we last met, Sleepwave was on tour supporting Norma Jean on their Oh God, The Aftermath anniversary tour. But after leading Under Oath, wasn't it tough for you to sort of stash your ego and take a supporting role? Uh, I mean, not really for me. I think um, just knowing that like I wasn't writing for Under Oath and I wasn't writing anything that sounded like Under Oath, I knew what it was going to be. You know, I wanted to do something for myself. I wanted to write something that was different, uh, more, you know, melody and song structure based stuff that I grew up on things, you know, there's plenty of different sides of my musical taste and knowing that wouldn't be an automatic, you know, all the under fans are going to come along or, or any of those things were definitely was not expected. So I'm a very firm believer in there's no shortcuts and, and that's especially in the music industry. And I think that bands that are big for the wrong reasons because maybe your past band or there's a famous member from, you know, he was an actor or something or anything, anything out of the ordinary, I think is, um, is never for the best. I think shortcuts mean you might rise faster, but that means you're going to fall faster in my opinion. So I'm totally fine with, uh, you know, sleep wave starting from the bottom, you know, and, and working our way to where we, we've gotten so far in the past year. And, even though we did some tours like with bands that Under Oath has toured with, even though we didn't fit in, it was fun to, uh, you know, to prove to some of the people that haven't heard Flavor or wouldn't listen to it because it wasn't metal or, or whatever it was, whatever the reasoning was, it was great to be out there with some friends like Norma Jean and just prove ourselves. And every show we played, we ended up leaving with a lot of new fans. And I think that's cool. Uh, definitely not, you know, the best for us to be touring with metal bands, but it was, it was a good year. And you have an incredibly wild show. I mean, I was really yeah, taken sleep back. <laughs> Sleepwave is uh, about as heavy as you can get without being like a screaming double bass breakdown band. They, they, all the guys are go, uh, you know, we have a talk every day. We're like, you know, there's always going to be someone younger, better, faster, quicker, you know, just like in sports and, you know, anything in the entertainment industry, like, you got to go as if this was your last show on, on the face of the planet, whether it's five people or 5,000 people. And, you know, pretty much every guy in the band holds that, you know, pretty, pretty strongly to what we do. So you're making yourself sound like you're old. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I'm just saying that I think there's always competition out there. I think, you know, you've got to always be prepared that there's, you know, there's a million people maybe not necessarily younger or better, but, you know, like there's people standing in the crowd that might be a better guitar player than the player on stage. You know, there's always someone that would give their left arm to be where you are when you're on that stage. And I think just not taking that for granted is more what Sleepwave's live show was all about. It's just, you know, be really appreciative of the opportunity and just go for it, you know? I suppose everything has really changed a bit for you now because Under Oath is coming back together for a new tour. But the band breakup in 2013, that must have been brutal for you. I mean, here you are, yeah. you'd already put a decade of your life into the band. For me, that would have been really depressing. Yeah, it was, it was man. It, it, uh, it was really hard. I think it was harder than I realized it was going to be. Um, like when I was younger and when Under Oath first started, I used to get a lot of anxiety, like sleeping at night. I would, I would be like, well, what if 
what if I wake up and no one wants to do this anymore? I'm, you know, I'm screwed. You know, I didn't go to college. You know, you worry about stuff, especially, you know, like I was like 20 or, you know, when I was like 19 or whatever, and just be kind of like stressed that all my friends were going to college and getting jobs. And I was like traveling around in a van, you know, but I loved it. And, and, you know, that never deterred me from like the, the path that I envisioned for the band and where we were going to go and the things we were going to do, but it's still like a lot. And then a decade passes and it happens. And at this point, you're more concerned that you have a mortgage and you have a life and you have bills, you know, you're, you're established in a career that you've been in for 10 plus years. You know, that ending is, is almost as crazy as the idea of like being a younger kid, not going to college and stuff. It was, uh, about as brutal as, as I thought anything like that would be. Like you go through all the stages. I think I was angry. I think I was depressed. I think I was, you know, hurt. All all the different emotions that you would feel from, I can imagine any sort of breakup. It's almost like maybe like a divorce. I don't know. I've never been married, but I can only imagine being with someone for 10 years and then just going, all right, it's over. You know, it's like one side is always going to be less prepared than the other, I feel like. And in this case for Under Oath and, you know, we've buried the hatchet over the, the past couple of years of being broken up, but we were all best friends, you know, when we started and you kind of drift apart over time. And as you become a man and, and an individual, it, it, it does drive people apart. And then when the breakup happens, it was, um, you know, for some of us, we wanted to keep going and the other people didn't want, and I was one of the people that was still wanting to keep the band going. And then when, you know, the other guys said they wouldn't do it, it was just how it was going to be, you know? But that was that was a tough time in my life, and I definitely you know went through a a long array of emotions and stuff. <laughs> well, then, really, was creating Sleepwave with you and Stephen was that really a help to you on a personal yeah, level? Yeah, it, it was very therapeutic. Um, I was writing music for the follow up to Disambiguation. I had about six songs written. Because a lot of times, you know, people like me and Tim, we would write on our own, and the band would get together, and we'd write together, as far as Under Oath goes. And I was also writing uh, some stuff that was different. It didn't sound like Under Oath. You know, I write music all the time for fun. And I've, I've even got stuff that sounds different than Sleepwave and Under Oath right now, but it's not something I'm going to release. It's just what I do. You know, like, I'm a songwriter. I, I play an instrument every single day, you know, uh, but I had this stuff that I was kind of like digging and I sat down with my friend Steven who has a studio and started tracking it. And then he started adding ideas to it and we would just kind of like mess around, you know, have fun. And then I, all right, gotta go. I'm going on tour, you know, I'll see you in a month. And then I came back and I'm like, man, things aren't going so well. You know, like you want to hang out, we'll, you know, grab a beer or something. And you know, my friend and talk to me, like, I don't know what's going on with my band and, we ended up hanging out and then we go back to his studio and pick up some instruments and just play for fun, you know? And then all of a sudden we kind of looked at it and like, you know what? These like fun ideas are kind of sounding like really rad songs. Like maybe we should, you know, focus a little bit on this. And we started doing that and I was super busy with Under Earth in and out. And, you know, when I'd come back, you know, he'd stop what he was doing and I'd stop what I was doing. We start messing around with music and then, I remember exactly where we were when the guy said that this was going to be the last tour. At this point, there wasn't going to be a farewell tour. I remember calling him. And I was like, hey, uh, <laughs> you remember those ideas we have uh, on your computer and on my computer? Yeah, do you want to spend a little more time on those and make them into some really good songs? 
And he was like, yeah, of course, man. I thought that's what we were doing. I was like, yeah, but now we can like really do that because everyone in Under Oath just basically said they're done. And that was a huge like turning point. And it was, uh, yeah, it was depressing. And it was exciting to work on new music, but still depressing at the same time because of what was going on with my other group of friends. So, uh, yeah, but it was therapeutic to get through all that. And a lot of that aggression that needed to get out and the frustration and the hurt was definitely put in that first record. Well, Sound of Sleep Wave is really interesting because besides your voice, it's very different from Under Oath. Very, yeah. Was this intentional or was this organic, trying to look for a different sound? It was. It's very organic for me. Like, I'm like, I respect all my friends' bands in the metal and hardcore genre, and I occasionally will pop in a heavy record, but I'm a, I've always been a rock guy. I mean... I grew up on it. You know, my dad showed me the Beatles was the first thing I ever heard. And then I had to listen to Led Zeppelin and <laughs> Pink Floyd and Jimi Hendrix and the Doors and the Rolling Stones. And I wasn't allowed to listen to anything else until I was old enough to pay for my own music. And then I got into Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and, uh, you know, that whole era of it. And it was always about melody and, and then the guitar work and, Later, getting into like Nine Snails and the Deftones, then that brings you over towards the like heavier stuff that'll eventually, you know, shows you like some of the heavier stuff like Poison the Well and some of the early stuff that we got into and Hopes Fall and all that back in the day. And that brings you to the metal world. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty organic for me to write songs. And, uh, you know, I've been in bands my whole life. You know, I've been in punk bands, I've been in rock bands, I've been in piano rock bands, I've been in metal bands i've been in grind metal bands you know like i just happens to be one of them stuck around for a while and like people liked it and that one was under oath and i love music and i love writing it and i would love writing it with people and i love writing it by myself you know we were like 19 18 years old when when i started practicing with under oath and it just made sense so we went with it and then it was like wow this is like happening and it happened so fast and it happened so organically and and you're so busy, you don't really realize that you haven't stopped to take a breath yet. Before you know it, you're you're headlining shows, and and you're like, well, now we we got to move into a bus because we got crew members and we need sleep and we're busy, and you know it's like it happens really fast. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I don't really have to try. I think even if I wrote a new Under Oath record with the guys picking up a guitar, being in the same room with Tim, we would probably write riffs that sound like Under Oath because we bring that out in each other, you know, like me and Aaron sitting in a room together, we have a competitive nature. I mean, we're best friends and we love each other, but we push each other. It's like, well, I'm going to do this. We're going to do that. And you're going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we like would really push each other. And I think that naturally would just come out. And I don't think we've ever really had to try to do anything. And I think the same thing with sleep wave is I said, no, on the, I, was, I wasn't going to scream at all on the record because, you know, it's a rock band and there's still moments on the record where there's some screaming and stuff just because it was was called for. It felt right in the song, you know? Yeah, I think it's just kind of letting the song take shape. You know, I've definitely written a lot of songs for both bands that I wanted to finish just to finish, knowing that they probably weren't going to make the record. Like, I, there's some... For, the, for a broken compass that I wrote, that, you know, we'd be like the verse on the chorus and I'd be like, this is this is just a little too much or a little too, you know, like we're just like having fun with it. Though. We'd finish the song and then we sit back and listen to it. And like, yeah, cool song. Doesn't really sound like Sleep Wave. So let's just put it in the back burner, you know, like huh. put it on a hard drive somewhere. 
Well, at times I was wondering on Broken Compass if you wouldn't even drop into disco because you had the one song, Whole Again. It's virtually a club dance track blended into a rock yeah. song. Yeah. You know, that's very in- inspired by, um, you know, I've always been a Nine Snails fan. I've always looked at the Trent Reznor and I wanted to start a song completely electronic and have the heaviest thing in the song be a keyboard, which is all that, you know, all those verses and stuff. Like if you listen to that in a good PA or a good sound system in your car, it's heavy. And, uh, so that song took a long time to create all the electronics on it, but that was, that was kind of a project song that ended up making the record. That was a idea of like, Hey, you know, what if we start a song that literally has no guitars until the chorus comes in and, and, you know, like, let's, let's try to make that happen. And, you know, I think at the time also, I think when Nine Snails came back, they released that record it was very heavily electronic. And I heard that and was like, dude, this is totally doable. They're doing what we started working on a couple months ago. Like, and, uh, I don't know. I was just inspired by that. The idea of, uh, a completely electronic song for the most part. And a lot of those elements shine through on the record and, and probably some in the future as well. You know, like, I, you know, I'll do that sometimes. I'm like, you know, I wrote a song on guitar and I'm going to take the guitar. I'm going to mute the guitar and see if I can make this song work without guitar and then add the guitar in later as a layer. You know, you work backwards. Just like sometimes I'll write a song on the piano and then transfer it over to the guitar and get a drum kit behind it and speed it up a little bit. Turns out to be the heaviest song on the record. You know, like you never know. Interesting that you bring up about Nine Inch Nails, because Sleep Leave gets constant comparisons to that. I mean, I hear some of the similarities. Of course, big difference is you can actually sing, and Trent Reznor really doesn't. But, <laughs> you know, are you cool with having that kind of comparison made? I think it's a cool comparison. Do I think we sound like Nine Inch Nails? No. Would I like to? Sure. I think they're an awesome band, and I think they're really cool, especially the rock stuff. The stuff that's more like... The Fragile Era and the With Teeth Era, I think, are, are awesome. But I still listen to that stuff. Do I think we sound like that? I think we're way poppier and we're way more song structure rock based. Like, you can hear the mm-hmm. the Beatles and Who influence more so. I mean, I didn't even notice that until David Bendis, who made the record, and he, you know, he's an older guy in his 60s. And I I want to say, don't don't quote me on that. I don't want him to hear this and get mad at me. I'm not sure his age. He's an older dude. He's been in this industry for a long time. And he grew up, you know, going to see Jimi Hendrix and, and bands like that. So, yeah, I mean, he he would pause the vocal take sometime. And he was, he, he's like, you know, you're doing this psychedelic, like, 60s thing, right? I'm like, <laughs> no. He's just like, it sounds like the Who's melodies. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I mean, I grew up on that stuff. He's like, it must be instilled in you somewhere in the back of your brain because you grew up and your dad made you listen to all that 60s music. And I was like, I guess so, because I don't really, it's not what I'm going for, but I'm just doing what it feels right. So, yeah, I think comparing us to Nine Inch Nails, I think on the electronic aggressive side at some points, yes. I think that's that's a proper comparison, but it, we get compared to, you know, other people will say, well, you guys sound like 30 Seconds to Mars. And I'm like, oh, I see it's a rock band that sings a lot in a higher register with electronics. Yes, we do that as well. But do we sound really sound like 30 Seconds to Mars? No, not really. Nor do we Nine Inch Nails. But if you took the two and put them together and had a baby, maybe. I don't know. You know, I, I think that's one of the weird things about Sleep Wave is you can't really put your finger on who we sound like because we just sound like ourselves. And I think that's cool. But it also hurts us at the same time because... 
you know, who are we supposed to tour with? <laughs> <laughs> well, you were talking about being in the studio, and there, I guess, Sleepwave Records is a two-piece, you know, just you and Stephen Bowman. What kind of positive and negatives come up with that type of band setup? I think the positives are that, you know, we both know what our strengths are. You know, I, I, I'm a songwriter. I, I'll write a song a day and I'll write all the lyrics and melodies and he's a good layers guy. You know, we both are good on piano and keyboard, but he's even better at finding the sounds and, and it's cool. Like I'll be playing guitar all day in one room. And the way we did it is I played guitar. We had a buddy play drums. Neither one of us are, are a good enough drummer to track, but we wrote all the drums prior, uh, like on a keyboard and, we worked with the drummer for a month before going into the studio who tracked the record. So he had an idea of what we were going for before we, we didn't just go, Hey, come show up and play drums on a record. You know, like I had it pretty programmed out and Steven had some stuff programmed out and then all the electronic drums, we'd already figured out like where we wanted to be electronic. Where do we want it to be both? Where do we want it to be just one or just the other? All that stuff was figured out beforehand, which is time consuming. Um, and the positive is though, you don't have a bunch of dudes fighting over, the way the song's going to sound, you know, Steven trusts my vision and where I'm going and he adds stuff and, you know, and he comes up with ideas too. And we just like, I don't know, we just like work really well together without really even having to fight over anything, which is great. And then the downside is that it's super busy in the studio. Like most bands, you know, the bass player's going to track bass and kind of hang out and just be there, you know, the drummer tracks and hangs out and the, guitar player tracks and hangs out and the keyboard player tracks and hangs out and the singer tracks and there's vocals and that's it. You know, it's like, cause there's two dudes. It's, I was tracking guitar all morning and as I'd finish the song, they transfer it from studio. I was in the big room and Steven was in the small room next to me with one of Bendis engineers. So my guitar work would go over when I was done in his room where he tracked bass and then back and forth, back and forth, back and forth while we're adding keyboards at the same time and I'm singing at night. I mean, it's like nonstop, you know, it's, there is no break, you know, there is no day off in that scenario unless the, the studio is taking a day off. So we're working as full time, but I'm okay with that. You know, like, uh, you know, under oath is six dudes and doing six different things. And I did that. And sleep wave is two guys doing, you know, everything. So puts a lot of new shoulders. workload. Yeah, I enjoy it though. You know, I've been playing music my whole life. You know, I I played my first sold out venue. It was like a 220 or 250 cap room in Greensboro, North Carolina, when I was 12. You know, like it's it's part of who I am, and it's fun. Going to see you with Sleepwave is not going to not be fun, but it's not going to be all fun. It's going to be a lot more work than it is going to be fun, and I'm okay with that because. For me, as, as long as I've been playing music and working on records and recording stuff, whether it's been released or not, you know, it's, it's great to be like, all right, I know what this is going to be. I know this is going to be a lot of work, but when you're done with it, you're really, you know, you can be really proud. You know, it's like there's a lot of things about that record that are, that are really cool and that we're really proud about. Like, there's no auto tune on that record. Like, he wouldn't let us take any shortcuts. The guitars aren't edited. Like, that's all played. It's all real because we went with a guy who wants to keep it that way and i think that's really cool it does add more work but at the end of the day if you probably don't know but you would hear a difference you know like you hear a difference when some of these young bands take the shortcuts that's super auto-tuned and vocal line which will take your vocals and make them link up the same and 
you know, the, and the guitars are edited and the drums are edited and it sounds like this big machine that's just perfect. You know, everything's, yeah. and that's not music to me. That's computers. I mean, that's what people do and I, they can do it if they want to, but I'm not going to do that, you know? Well, that's interesting because that relates directly to something I was going to bring up because I'd read a quote from you, Spencer, that where you said, music is an escape, but it's noise when the overall content is cheap. So really, what does it take for an artist to produce songs that are truly creative? You know, I think being being yourself, it, and it's sad because when Under Oath started, we were rebelling uh, you know, it was more of a, a movement and a rebellion against the mainstream and against the state of where music was at at the time. And uh, that wasn't the only driving force behind it, but that was part of it, you know, and like that whole underground scene had a movement to it. And we were writing our own songs and we were playing our own instruments and singing our own lyrics, you know, like, and now you've got bands in that genre that are doing what all the big pop and country and mainstream artists are doing and they're hiring other people to do it for them and i think you know just being true to yourself and doing it because you love it makes it not just a bunch of noise you can make a song out of that and i hear it even in some modern bands you know i hear some of these bands that that i think wow you know it might not be my thing but that sounds like nothing else you know and they're doing their thing and it's good whether it's my opinion of what i would listen to or not doesn't matter like they're being themselves. It sounds like they're being honest. As far as I can tell, someone asked me the other day, um, who's looking to work with Sleepwave goes, you know, tell me what sets you apart from all the other singers and what's going to make you stay around and, and last and be a star. And blah, blah, blah. you know, I was like, well, first of all, I don't do any of this to be a star. Cause I think that's the wrong reason to do anything. So first of all, your, your question is already wrong but I'll still answer it. And I think the difference between me and other people is, is I do this because I love it and I do it because I believe in it. And I believe in every word I say. And I think some of these quote unquote stars, whatever you want to call them, these big artists, these big bands, not all of them. I'm definitely want to make sure that's clear that I'm not talking about everybody, but I definitely think there's a handful and a few that I know of that aren't writing their own songs and they aren't writing their own lyrics. And there's a producer or a songwriter involved completely you know to to collab with a songwriter or to collab with a producer it's totally fine but i mean you're telling me that there's a band up there and he's singing the words that he doesn't care about that he didn't write that he doesn't believe in in front of five thousand people is that very hard no it's probably not very hard but what happens when like all bands they go up and down up and down so what happens the next year they come back and the venue sold 75 percent of ticket sales or 50 percent of ticket sales well, what happens when they sell 10% of ticket sales? You're telling me that kid is going to stand up there and, and believe in the words that he's saying in front of 100 people, 50 people, 25 people, because that shit does happen. And it's okay that that happens. Like, you know, look at the Deftones. One year they'll be selling out bigger and the next year the record people don't connect with. And then they come back with a record that's, bam, it's huge again. And that's respectful. But if you're not writing it yourself and you have a wall at all, you're you're going to see straight through it, in my opinion. And I just tell people the difference between me and everyone else is I'm I'm real. I'm, the things I think about are me. You know, like that's me up there. Like that's who I am. It's not an act. It's not a gimmick. And I'm not singing other people's words. I'm singing what I believe in and what I've gone through and what I say. And they're my songs. You know, and I think that eventually shines through. 
at some point in time, it'll happen again, you know? Then to follow along with that, would you say that your lyrics have a particular focus or a message? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I feel like every song is, is a different journey, but like to me, it's it's more, I, I write from the heart about things that I've gone through and growing up and the way music was to me is that it was there the things I connected with were the honest vocalists and songwriters that it makes you feel like you're not alone in the world because everyone at different points feels completely alone, you know, be it in their, you know, teens or twenties or thirties, or I'm sure even forties, like when people go through divorces or whatever is going on in your life, there's times where you feel completely alone and isolated or hurt or scared. And I think when you write honest songs from the heart, like that's what music is for. People love music because they connect to it. And I think all my songs are, even the really dark ones, are, there's a little bit of hope behind it is that you're not alone. And I think that's just kind of how I live my life, you know? I'm just pretty transparent and just I'll tell it how it is. You might catch me on a good day or a bad day or a good year or a bad year or, you know, who knows? But I'm pretty damn honest about everything, at least. Back to the point about your style of music with Sleepwave. One of the songs on Sleepwave's debut album, Broken Compass, is called Rock and Roll is Dead and So Am I. What about the style itself? Do you think that rock and roll could be considered a dying art form? Um, I don't think it'll ever die. I, I really don't. I think whether it's it goes back to the small clubs like it has, or it's going to take over the world again, which I'm sure it will. Uh, at the time when I wrote that song, you know, it was about more of a state of where I was and the title is more of a state of where everyone else was. And I was actually shopping Sleepwave around and I went into a major label that it flew me up. You know, they wanted to, they wanted to meet me and they wanted to know, you know, different stuff about what I was going to do with this project or whatever. I stepped down in the office and this dude that was just a complete asshole, you know, he was, he was, not nice. He was trying to intimidate me. And one question he asked me is, what am I worth? I said, excuse me? You're kidding. (laughs) What are you, what? Like, is this a joke? And he's like, what are you worth? What are you worth as a ticket sale? What will your fans pay to see you shake your hand? What can you charge for someone to see you? And I just laughed. I was like, you're going to measure my self-worth on ticket sales and what kids would pay to see me. I would never make anyone pay to see me. I think it's right to pay to see a band perform because there's a lot of money that goes into it. And that's how music is made and continues to be made, especially when no one's buying CDs or music anymore. But to just meet me or like, what's my, what's my worth based on ticket sales? I just thought it was a joke. And, and then the, uh, the other comment he made while he's like, I love the band. I love this. He's like, you know, maybe it's a year too early or a year too late, but what do you want me to do with this? There's guitars. And I said, what? Is <laughs> there guitars in this? And I said, well, that's where it is. You know my phone number. You flew me up here. So if you want to talk, hit me up. And I just walked out. And uh, that song, is it's not about him or anything about that, but it was kind of about the state of where I was and the state in my mind. And I named that song that because I was just so angry at that guy. It's kind of more of a middle finger of like, obviously I'm not dead and neither is rock and roll, but it's just like, that's what it feels like when someone's putting a a price on your head and on the things that you do, like, you know. Isn't it guys like that that are really creating the biggest issues in the record industry? Do I think they are? Yeah. I, I, yes, I think they are. 
like any big business, I feel like some of the older guys high up in the corporate offices that are used to the way that business used to be ran, they used, they're used to the way that America used to be the land of opportunity and all this money, you know, before markets crashed and things went south and, you know, people don't have the money they used to, but some of these rich, high up people at these big businesses do, and they're still trying to run big business, the old, and it's definitely been changing. And there, there's a new way to run business and a new way to, to go about things. And I think they just keep doing the same thing. That's why we keep running into this year's new pop star and pop song and they go accept an award and you hear the pop artist list off 25 people who helped to write that one song that's already been written 600 times. <laughs> and that's, the, I guess that's what the pop world is. And that's fine. That could be a different thing. That's not what we're a part of, you know, we're, a part of a rock and roll genre and a for on the road to metal genre. It's, and I'm glad to not be a part of that world can do what they will with it. But I definitely think it causes problems, but I'm sure it's like that in every business somewhere along the lines. Well, at least you're still creating and being creative. I read on Facebook yeah, that, absolutely. Sleep, that Sleepwave's got a new album planned for 2016. Yeah. I'm, I'm technically I'm halfway done writing it, but I like to write double so I'm about a quarter of the way. Um, like I told you earlier before the interview, I'm in the process of moving. And once I get settled, I'm going to do another writing block. Uh, hopefully be done writing it before I leave for the Underworld tour and be right in the studio. Basically the day I get home, I'm, I'm going to go right in and try to track everything. I've demoed a lot of new sleepwear stuff over the last uh, year, which is crazy because we've been on tour all year and, I remember <laughs> my manager going, where, where the hell did you have time to do this? And I said, well, this is what I do. I don't know. I was, you know, like we, we go home for three days here, three days there, seven days here. And we just wouldn't go home. We just go to like a studio and, and demo out new stuff. It was fun. It was, it was a busy year. though. And not only being busy, but you've even increased that because now you're going to do this huge, I guess, almost sold out spring tour with Under Oath. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's all sold out. If it's not, it's going to be sold out before we leave. Most of it's sold out immediately. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, it's like I have two bands to express different sides of myself with. And, you know, I people ask about the girls, like, so what's going to happen? Is Sleepwave going to stop? And the answer is no. Uh, Sleepwave will continue to be full-time. You know, everyone in Underworld has other things going on in their life. And I think us learning to be friends again, which I credit a lot of that to the DVD that we released. It took two years too long to release yeah. uh, about the farewell tour, that company that was putting it together, that it folded. So we had to finish it. And that means we had to talk and we started talking and two years of making that and talking, you know, it's like, we're kind of learned how to be friends again. And I think a balance between that and under a fan base being, as active as they were on the farewell tour still to this very day, you know, without a lull, I'd sign into the Twitter and just scroll through and it'd be like thousands of comments an hour about how they people missing under oath for the whole three years we were gone, you know, it never stopped. And we learned to be friends again. And all of a sudden it's just kind of like, we owe it to our fans and to ourselves to do a tour. And then we decided to play both records on the tour to find the Great Lines turning 10 and Chasing Safety's already turned 10. We missed that. So we're like, well, let's do both. Kids ask, like, will we make another record? Maybe. I don't know. You know, it's like I kind of 
think the cool thing about this is Undergrowth was such, I, I tell people this all the time, it was kind of like a fraternity. It was like, <laughs> you, everyone had to do the same thing. There's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. and We were constantly told that we needed to tour, 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 tour. And that band's kind of the size where you don't have to tour 10 months out of the year. It has its fan base. It's not going anywhere. Those fans are diehard and we don't have to tour 10 months out of the year. We can do one tour a year in each country and keep everyone happy, you know, and, and ourselves. And then we'll see if we start to write a record. I'm, I'm sure we'll write stuff, but will it come out? I don't know. Like I told the guys, if we do release something, it's got to be better than anything we've ever done. Hands down. You know, like it's gotta be, it's gotta be the best thing the world has ever heard. And I think the band is capable of that. If, you know, if it comes together organically and honestly, we, we take time doing it, but only time will tell. I think Under Oath is at the, at the point where it's taking it one step at a time. And it's like, well, look, we, we got a tour and we're doing a tour for all these people that sold out and everyone gets a chance to see the band again and we're going to play two full records. And that's the first step. So like, we'll see what happens after that, you know? And I know that we, that the hiatus has been lifted. Like we're, we're open to doing more things, but it's not going to be full time because everyone has, they all have families and jobs and, you know, Aaron's doing Paramore and I'm doing Sleepwave. It's, but it's cool. It's still an option that that band can still exist. You know, it doesn't have to be turned off completely. I think that's cool. Well, I've got a great way for you to keep both Sleepwave and Under Oath fans happy. Why doesn't Sleepwave be the opener for Under Oath on the tour? <laughs> because that would be me singing three records in a row, <laughs> six <laughs> nights a week. Oh. And that would be that would be way too much. It's going to be it's a lot of work to do two records back to back. But I, uh, you know, I haven't stopped touring, so I'm good. But man, if you had a third record in there that you're looking at, like two and a half hours of singing and screaming back and forth, back and forth, back and forth be brutal <laughs> <laughs> spencer chamberlain has been here with the antidote man it's been really great to speak with you so listen have yeah, fun man. with the uh, under oath tour and best of luck with the upcoming Sleepwave album yeah absolutely i'm sure we'll talk again soon around that new Sleepwave record and maybe i'll see you out at the under oath uh tour absolutely cool well let's speak soon man and keep in touch